0: So for the last six months, there have been about 10 Presbyterian churches that we've been working together to create this Lenten experience for our congregations. This uh, will be the theme of our preaching, Worth a Thousand Words. It'll also be the theme of all of our children's Sunday school, our student ministries, adult Sunday school, and all of our life group curriculum has all been created by this group of of Presbyterians just for us to have a transformational Lenten experience. I strongly encourage you, if you are not in a life group or participate in a Sunday school class, this Lent would be a great time to join a life group. After the congregational meeting, today, there will be in the parlor uh, a table where you can sign up for a life group or you can sign up online or just call the church office to get into a Lenten life group to participate in our Lenten experience worth a thousand words. Now today in our scripture, I want to lift up what I believe is one of the most heartfelt prayers in all scripture. Lots of prayers in scripture, but this one By the Apostle Paul, we find in his letter to the Ephesians, where he is struggling with people who who don't get along, who are divisive, people who just are are not fully comprehending what it means to be God's beloved children, and this is his prayer for them. I'm reading today from uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians in the third chapter, let us listen for God's word to us. The Apostle writes, For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord. You indeed always, always bless us in the reading and hearing of your sacred word. May your word find its home in our hearts. Lord, I pray your spirit would rest upon me guiding my thoughts, removing from my lips any words but your own, that with faithfulness and with integrity I might proclaim the wonderful good news of your redeeming love. Amen. Some of y'all remember Larry King, cable talk show host, about 300 years old? Well, a few years back, he was interviewing baseball legend, Hall of Famer Ty Cobb on the occasion of Ty Cobb's 70th birthday. And during the interview, now understand Ty Cobb was one of the greatest hitters of all time. Had a 367 lifetime average. That is phenomenal. And during the interview, he, uh, Larry King asked Ty Cobb, he said, you know, if you were playing today, do you think you'd be that good a hitter? And Ty Cobb said, oh, no, no way. I'd just probably be an average hitter today. And Larry King said, well, why is that? Is that because the the, the demands of a greater travel schedule or or the dimensions of the new ballparks? Or or is it because the the power pitchers or or some of the new pitches, like the split-finger fastball? Why would you only be an average hitter today? And and Ty Cobb looked at him and said, because now I'm a 70-year-old man. (laughs) Well, duh. But it's good to know your limitations, right? You know, it's said that growing up is just simply the process of learning our limits. When you're young, man, you think you can do it all and you can get away with anything. You're young, you can drive fast and you can eat junk food and you can stay up late partying to all hours of the night and and you just, you feel like nothing can bring you down. And then as you get older, you learn that you're not immortal and you're not omnipotent. And there are limits to what you can withstand. There are limits to what you can endure. There are limits to what you can achieve. As we age, we learn our limits. But true maturity comes in understanding the difference between true limits and false limitations. Limitations often placed upon us by other people. One of the great ironies of life, perhaps you've noticed, is that some people who are seemingly oblivious to their own shortcomings and limitations are the very ones who are so good at pointing out the shortcomings and limitations of other people. Those with a log in their own eye seem to be the best at pointing out the speck in other people's eyes. Have you noticed that? And when this really gets tragic, is when people start projecting their own limitations on God. So there was a first grade teacher and she asked her class to get out their crayons and draw a picture of something or someone who was important to them. So they all got out their crayons and they started drawing and drawing. And after a time she said, okay, everybody pass your pictures up. And everybody passed their papers forward except little Charlotte. Charlotte in the back of the room just kept coloring away and coloring away. Now, this was a good teacher, and she walked back, and she put her hand on Charlotte's shoulder and said, Charlotte, time's up. You have to turn in your picture. But little Charlotte just kept drawing away. And she said, Charlotte, what is it that you're drawing here? What is it that's so important to you? And she said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher said, oh, Charlotte, nobody knows what God looks like. Well, they will when I finish this picture. One of life's greatest temptations is to create an image of God according to our own likeness. Is it not? We are very comfortable with the idea of a God who likes the things we like, who approves of the things we approve of, and who dislikes the things that we dislike. A God who blesses those who we bless and who curses those who we curse. A God who, in every way, shares our attitudes and our biases and our prejudices and our perspectives. We're very comfortable with a God that resembles us. But you see, Freud was not the first person to warn us about projecting our stuff onto a divine being. It's what the Apostle Paul's doing in his letter to the Ephesians as well. You remember this letter is written in the first century, shortly after the Romans have completely wiped out Jerusalem and they have completely torn down the, te- the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. It is a disaster. And it is during this time that the Gentile converts to Christianity begin thinking that maybe God has turned his back on the Jews Maybe God has forsaken those covenants and that they are now God's favorite people. But the Jewish converts to Christianity are saying, no, wait a minute. We are the ones who are the ancestors of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God has not turned his back on us. God is faithful to us. And so you've got these two groups of Christians, the ones that come from a Jewish background and those who come from a Gentile background, literally fighting each other over who's God's favorites. Does it sound like sibling rivalry? And in the midst of this, this squabble that's going on about who does God love most, the Apostle Paul writes this letter. He says, folks, grow up. You've got to understand God is bigger than that. Don't project your limitations. Don't project your biases or your perspective onto God. You've got to have bigger thoughts. You have to have God-sized thoughts. You have to have God-sized love in your hearts. Now, how do you talk about God-sized love? Does God's love come in small, medium, and large? Can you supersize God's love? How does that work? The apostle, struggling for words, talks about the height and breadth and depth and length of God's love. And he says, these are dimensions beyond comprehension. These are dimensions far beyond human understanding and knowledge. There are no limits to God's love, he says. There's, it is infinite. It is greater than all of creation. There's no restrictions. There's no exemptions. There's no exclusions. God's love is greater than anything you can imagine or that you can comprehend. And he says, my prayer is that that kind of love, that immeasurable, infinite love, will dwell in your hearts, that you might know the love of God and that you might share that love of God with others. Well, as you can imagine, the news was not well received because these two groups of Christians were very comfortable in their positions. They didn't like or trust one another. I wonder if things have changed that much. Is the news of God's infinite, unlimited, unrestricted love? Is it fully embraced even in today's church? Or are we more comfortable in putting our limitations on God? How often do we decide that God blesses those who we bless, that God curses those who we curse, that God certainly must share our opinions? But you see, the good news of the gospel is that God loves us despite the log in our eye. God loves us despite our wrong opinions, despite our sinful behavior, despite all that we have done and failed to do. God loves each and every one of us. Even those people that we don't love. It's a radical message of grace. Because what it means is that God loves the murderer sitting on death row just as much as God loves that little child down in the Sunday school classroom. God loves us all, rich and poor, arrogant and humble, educated and illiterate, black, white, yellow, red, gay, straight, Democrat, Republican. God loves everyone. And it is not our place to limit God's love or saving grace. You see, like the Ephesians, we need to expand our perspective. We need to adopt a God sized understanding of God's love. The world tried to restrict God once, they nailed God's love to a cross on Good Friday. They tried to say us, but not them. But they couldn't do it. Not even the grave could constrain God's love. And on Easter morning, when God's love came bursting out of that tomb, it transformed the world and all of the disciples of Jesus in a powerful way that could never again constrain or limit or restrict God's saving love. My friends, ours is a God who has love For all people. Ours is a God who offers grace to all people. Ours is a Savior who offers redemption to all people. Ours is a church that expresses nothing less than the unrestricted love of God to each and every person. That is who we are called to be. And by the grace of God, let it be so. Amen.